0: This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show, where we talk
1: art. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of Where We Talk Art, a podcast produced by Partnership for the Arts Group. Today our guest is Steve Strunk, a potter and teacher of pottery at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Steve is here and we will begin to talk right after this brief message. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the world of art.
0: You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show.
1: Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. We are back, and as promised, our guest is Steve Strunk, teacher of pottery. Welcome, Steve. We're so happy that you are able to find some time to be with us for this podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. appreciate it.
1: So, I see that you brought some examples here of, of pottery.
0: I do. I have some examples of finished pottery and unfinished pottery, just so that you can see part of the process.
1: All right. So, we're going to have to do a lot of describing, so we'll try to use lots of accurate adjectives to describe what we're talking about. All right. Um,
0: I, I'm seeing right here. Let's, let's start with the mug. The mug. Well, you know, I make mostly functional pottery, right. stuff that we can use every day at home. Coffee mm-hmm. mugs, serving dishes, planters, things of that nature. I don't make a lot of artistic forms, but I have plenty of students that are into that. Artistic forms are just, uh, most of the time they're a little unnatural. You know, they come out by accident. If you're trying to make art, sometimes it's uh, they're a little wobbly. They're not quite perfect. You all can right. struggle with that forever. And I tell I tell my students all the time: if you're going for perfection, then they'll buy it at a store. You know, <laughs> they're making they're getting handmade pottery here, so it's not going to be perfect. But my pieces, I like them to be functional, so that you know you can you can use them in everyday things. You can cook in most of them because they're stoneware. Uh, you can put them in dishwasher. They're just they're good and they're beautiful. You know the glazes are hold that in my hand. Absolutely, here, hold that. Now that's that has substantial heft to this. Believe it or not, that's my very first mug I ever made. That
1: that surprises me very much. It's kinda hefty, yeah. It's a beautiful mug. Thank you. And and for our listening audience, I want you to understand that this is a mug that has a variety of interesting colors on it. First we'll start on the outside. We have kind of like a, a rust color on maybe a third of it, uh, mostly on the, the upper third, and, and on the far end, the opposite end of where the handle is, that rust color kind of bleeds down. Yep. And then we have um, a greenish, maybe almost a turquoise color, and then a, more of a darker green of right underneath it. And then where the handle is, it turns to a, a richer, darker
0: brown. What I've done what I've done is I've layered my glazes. So the first glaze that goes on there is actually the brown. It's called Russell Brown. Um, and Russell Brown is very dynamic. I describe it as dynamic because uh, when it's thick and heavy, it actually turns blue. When mm. it's thin and breaks over an edge, it's orange. The only time it's brown is when it's perfectly applied. I turned it over, and I did a diagonal dip over the lip, the rim, into a bright red. Now, the bright red turned that rusted color over the brown and then where the two colors merged or where the overlap was right along that line i just sponged on this another glaze called sea mist and it has the greens in it yes and that's where that's where it all it all blended together now where you see the lighter colors that's where it starts to break off the edges uh breaking glaze breaking is when it thins out as it drips in the heat of the kiln oh in the heat of the kiln it absolutely absolutely
1: so when this was in the kiln being fired,
0: was it right side up or upside down? No, it was right side up. It's right side up. If you look at the bottom, you'll see that the the bottom is bare. And that's yes. because if you put any glaze on there and that glaze touches the kiln shelf, it'll stick. And when it sticks as it as it expands in the heat and then contracts, the glaze sticks to the shelf as it's as when it's the most expanded it can be. And as it contracts then it'll break away. And it's breaks, snaps pieces off right at the, right at the edge, right, right at the lip.
1: I was, I was wondering why there is no glaze, and now you just mm-hmm. answered that question. And, and Steve even added this really cool design on the
0: bottom <laughs> of the mug, sp- which I like, which is a spiral. It's a beautiful spiral. Thank you. Very, thank you very much. It was from, at, it's one of my first. <laughs> my spirals are not so tight anymore. My spirals are much, much wider now. But uh, yeah, that was my first mug. I, I, I'm counting 12,
1: 12 cycles mm-hmm. or revolutions or spirals, yes. the concentric, getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, right to the middle. Beautiful. And I like the handle that I can put three fingers through this mm-hmm. big handle. And then my, my pinky is on the outside. And my thumb has a nice resting spot. You can you put Yeah, I like put a,
0: that finger groove in all my hands. Finger groove in yep. there.
1: And that's great.
0: I, I love that now this is unusual the inside mm-hmm. so the inside how did you do that the inside comes from the dip the glaze rolls up inside and just covers part of that part of that dip and then what I did is I came back because I didn't get much of the dip I came back and dipped this side and that's why you have that half moon yes. on the inside of the lip and then the Russell Brown is just took over all, all the way down at the bottom now, what's interesting is if you see, look at the bottom. This is how you can tell it's my first mug. It's cracked. Can you see that little crack down there? Oh, uh, yes. Now that. But I it doesn't see go that. all the way through. That's true. So, absolutely fine. I just soak some bleach in it once in a while, so my coffee isn't so rich. <laughs> <laughs> but I keep this mug in the classroom because I actually use it every day, every every time I'm here.
1: Yes, my wife and I have some. Uh, Mugs, coffee mugs made out of that same material. So what what would you call this type of mug? This
0: is stoneware. Stoneware. That's stoneware. what it is. And stoneware stoneware is what we primarily use. We have um, porcelain back there. Um, porcelain is much finer of course. Uh, on the wheel porcelain is much smoother and it stretches a little bit more so you can get more dynamic bellies and shapes. Yes. Belly is the, the round part down here. Yes. Um, you can really get porcelain to form for you but you have to have a much more gentle touch i get all my beginners started on the stoneware so that they can really muscle it and then they refine that and they slowly they they work on their touch as -hmm. the piece gets larger as you throw it on the wheel your your touch gets lighter and lighter you start off with a clump of a lump of clay right at the very beginning and you really have to muscle that around it's not something that you can touch delicately and get it to perform for you so you yeah, that clay is is very heavy absolutely and you know if you think about it even two pounds spinning at 25 miles an hour will just beat you up mm. I mean, absolutely beat you up if it's not centered and having to center you really got to lean on it and so you know you put your elbows right in your ribs and you lean forward and you just put all your body weight on it to get it center and as you pull it up, and as you get more and more delicate forms, what happens is it gets thinner, and then you need to be much more delicate with your, with your oh, touch. Oh, yes. So your touch comes up, and when, when you're pinching and you're pulling, what you're doing is you're, you're stretching the clay, and you're laying, really laying a spiral all the way around. It goes all the way up. Yes. And so if your wheel is, pull, is turning quickly, you can pull fairly quickly. But if your wheel is turning slow, you have to slow your hands down, too. Because the spiral, like, like we were just talking about the spiral on the bottom yes. of the mug, if your wheel is turning fast and you pull slowly, you lay a nice, thin spiral all the way up. Mm-hmm. It's compact and no weak spots. But if you pull it too quickly for how fast the wheel is turning, what happens is that you end up with this spiral with gaps in it. And that's where your weak spots come in. Right. And that's how your pottery fails on the wheel.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, when you're, when you're having something on the wheel spinning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I would imagine that you have to have equal force on the inside and the outside at the same time. Otherwise, you're going to blow out. Absolutely.
0: The- uh, absolutely. It's a, I tell my students that pottery requires two things, patience and balance. And there's balance in every aspect of pottery. Um, From how fast your wheel's turning to how much water you add versus how much, how dry the clay is versus the pressure of your hands, one on one side, one on the other, finding center just to begin. I mean, it's all balance. It's all balance and finding that balance throughout the process of making your piece. And each form has its own balance. It has a center point. So, you know, like this shape here. Right. Which is... I, I would I would call it like your classic spittoon. Jig. Yes, it's a smaller spittoon. I usually make these for plants. This bowl that's not glazed. Now feel how light that is. This is four pounds of clay. Well, it doesn't feel like it's four pounds mm-hmm. heavy. So all of that moisture is, is gone is out of it. Mm-hmm. And and I pulled I pulled that up all the way from, you know that's pretty big for four pounds. Put the hole in the bottom, and then the trimming. The trimming is done in leather hard. That's how you get the lines. and the Well, I'm surprised that it
1: actually has a a bit of a a bell-like quality. I'll put this right in front of the the microphone and
0: and just tap the side. Mm
1: -hmm. That surprises me.
0: (laughs) That's actually how we can tell if they're cracked or not. Because if we ping them when they come out of the kiln and they ring like that, then they're good. If they're not, if they have a dead sound like... That's dead, uh-huh. see?
1: I see. All right, so you, pur- you purposely decided not to not to glaze this.
0: Well, it just hasn't reached a glaze room yet. I don't get a chance to do much of my own pottery because I All teach right. so many classes now. So most of these things end up being demonstrations on the wheel. And so then I turn around and try to get time to glaze them afterwards. And usually when, like, just so happens this week in class is glaze. All right. So we're going over glazing. And I'll probably glaze that piece because it was a demo for that class. And then I'll probably glaze another piece like this. So this went into the kiln. Mm-hmm. Fired the first time into bisqueware. It's it's what's called bisqueware. Bisqueware. Mm-hmm. Right. When uh, when a piece comes first comes off the wheel, it's greenware. It's still wet. Yes. We let that dry for about a week under plastic, uh, and it becomes leather hard. That's when we put all the trimming, all the lines, all the all the beautiful texturing, that's when we add most of that in the trimming stage. Really? Mm-hmm. So if you turn it over and look at the bottom, that's called the foot. And that's where I start my teaching is the foot. Ah,
1: I, I, I thought that all of this was done on the wheel, all of these lines.
0: It is done on the wheel, but not all at the same time. So we have to let it dry to get get to the trimming stage for the foot or to add handles like the handle on this mug was added when it was leather hard after it dried for about a week
1: okay a week mm-hmm. so then it's durable enough to be handled so to speak
0: handled delicately right. it's still it's pliable that's why it's called leather hard because it's mm. still soft it's still malleable but it's not um it's set up it's not squishy you won't you won't just put fingerprints all over it by touching it Whereas if you tried that on greenware, you would gouge it. Your fingers would stick to it. The clay is still very wet. Um, but then once, it's, once you trim it and it's where you want it to be from leather hard, you allow it to fully dry out, which is called bone dry. And we can usually tell bone dry, but we put the back of our hand to it and you can feel the coolness. If it's cool to the touch, then it's still got some moisture in it. Right. It'll be room temperature if it's bone dry. And once it's bone dry, it goes into the kiln and it gets fired to uh, roughly 1800 degrees. And then once it reaches 1800 degrees, we let it cool down and it comes out and it's bisque wear. In this stage, it accepts the glaze. It absorbs moisture like crazy. Right. You can literally uh, drip water on it and watch that water disappear into the, into yes, the body of that that. clay. Yes, I've seen that, yes. All right, well, I have a couple questions for you. Ask. All right,
1: so it goes in a kiln. So can multiple pieces go in? Kilns? Oh,
0: absolutely! We have two kilns that are uh, about four feet deep and, wow. and about three feet wide, and we fire. Oh, uh, we can fire. We fire probably up to a hundred pieces. So then you have shelves in there. We also. have shelves, ceramic shelves that we stack in there. It's different every time, and usually, you know, a pottery studio usually there's one guy that stacks a kiln. That mm-hmm. way, one guy is responsible for it. Oh, okay, and then. I'll 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 take stuff out, or Jack will take stuff out, or Rick. He's the.
1: I know who Rick is. Rick, yes. Rick's
0: been around for a while, yes. um, but he's the guy that stacks everything. He's amazing at it. He does a very very good job. Hmm. So we just leave, we just leave it to him. I don't mess with his stuff. He has an eye for fitting things into
1: places. My wife is like that when we're packing for a vacation. You know, she'll look at something, and go, "Oh, I know, I know exactly where this can go in the vehicle," and she puts it right in that little spot. My, my
0: wife plays Tetris with that stuff all the time too. I got you all right. But Rick is Rick is really good with it.
1: Well, we would like to take a break right now at this at this particular time, and we'll have a very short message for you. And then when we're done, we'll come back and continue this conversation with Steve.
0: I'm Janet Watermeyer, Executive Director of the Visual Arts Center, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts talk show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Steve Strunk, potter and teacher of pottery at the Visual Arts Center in Ponto Gorda. And Steve, I was just looking at the class schedule for this time of the year, the spring or early summer, Mm -hmm. and I see that we have... Some classes, we have Pottery, Hand-Build, and Wheel, all levels. Another one uh, called Big and Tall for Beginners. And then we have Intermediate to Advanced. And then uh, under your name, we have Pottery Wheel for Beginners. No prior experience. So yep. um, I, I heard a, you say on a video that, that you could teach anybody.
0: I can, I can. Uh, I, have a, I have what I call the five-step process for beginners. They get a clay, usually it's just a little under two pounds, anything from a pound and a half to two pounds, nothing over two pounds because, like I said, at 25 miles an hour, it can really beat you up. And so the, the smaller amount, the easier it is for them to control. The first step is they push to center. They push really hard, get it to center. The second step is that they then cone, And I'll show them how to cone. The third step, once they bring the cone down, is to open it. And once they open it, they have to stop their wheel, pull out their little pin tool, which is the size of a pen, but has a sharp needle point on it. And they just stick that down through the middle just to see how deep it is. The way they pull it out and they can hold their finger on it, they can see how deep that bottom is. So that they don't have a super thin bottom. They have plenty to trim. Uh, When I mentioned the trimming uh, for the leather hard. Which is the following week. So, but then after that, that's the fourth step is to get the depth. And then the fifth step is just to start pulling your walls. And I, I pretty much can guarantee anybody, when they follow my step-by-step process, mm-hmm. throws a bull the very first time. Wow. No failure, no flopping. If they listen and they do exactly what I tell them to do, they're done. Got it. I have very few failures on the first day. Very, very few.
1: That's amazing. I I would think it would be just the
0: opposite, that you'd have a lot of failures and people thinking, oh, no, i got to do this again. Well, see, pottery, you can't really grow in pottery without failure, lots of failure. But your first couple pieces are important to you. So it's important to me that you have something to show for that. So you come in, you take my class. I guarantee that you'll throw something the very first time. Well, that's an interesting thing. You make it sound simple. It can be simple. It can be simple. But most of us overthink it. And pottery tends to force that calm mind. Because when something happens to your piece, something starts to happen. You have to slow down. And most of us go, oh, 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 no, oh, no. And we start moving quickly, trying Mm -hmm. to rectify the issue. And clay doesn't like to move quickly. In nature, clay moves slowly, and we have to move slowly with it. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's like, it's like the zen There, pottery. There is lots of zen in pottery. Like, if you come into the pottery studio, and you're not centered in your head, you're not ready, you're, you're off, you're drifting about something bad happened at work, or, you know, my kids are being ornery, or whatever, you're not centered on the pottery, it'll show up. It'll show up because you're not focused on it. Mm -hmm. And the clay will say, oh, hey, you, Mm -hmm. remember me? (laughs) Watch this, (laughs) you know, and it it happens. So I do a lot of coaching like that, you know, slow down, slow your mind down. And I can tell on their their pottery, you know, if the wheels turning fast and they end up with a weak spot and it's bulging out and they want to fix it and their hands are moving way too fast. And most of the time what I do is I tell them, slow the wheel down. And if you think you're moving slow already, slower and that's that's mm. that's how you got to do it and you approach pottery that way and um you meet a lot of success for beginners and as you get as you get better you don't have to necessarily do all that, you know but right. um you start with that as your roots your roots to your pottery tree per se and then who cares what you branch out to every branch you grow you know, you either nurture it or you, you try this kind of pottery, you don't like it, it's a tiny branch on your pottery tree. But you get into another branch of pottery, like let's say you end up like coiling. Okay, well, then you, your coiling branch is humongous, you know, and you add that to what little wheel experience you have, and next thing you know, you have a half-thrown, half-coiled pot, and it's very interesting. It's not, uh, it's not normal, normal just wheel pottery. You combine two different, two different pottery styles and that's, that's where, the, to me, the beauty of pottery really is. If you know more than one style and you bring it together as one thing, then you're just you're flying in my mind. I love it.
1: Some uh, arts and crafts seem to have a sudden, like, a new trend. Everybody's mm-hmm. doing blank or whatever that might be. So, for instance, uh, uh, alcohol inks is becoming very popular yes. for, for people yes. who are watercolorists and now they're doing alcohol mm-hmm. inks.
0: Uh, so, are there any uh, current trends in pottery? As a matter of fact, uh, it seems like uh, one of the biggest trends in pottery right now is, uh, are pieces that look like you just pulled them out of the ground. All different kinds of uh, really earthy-looking pieces that look ancient, hmm. but they're made to look that way, and I see a lot of, a lot more of that. When I was younger, in college, uh, that was not the typical you know, um, it, when I was in college, it seemed like uh, everybody was striving for the, the functional vases with the, the odd spout or something of that nature. It wasn't right. really about the glaze. It wasn't really about the firing art. Now you see these, these beautiful stoneware pieces that are uh, raku or, or salt glazes, and, and they just, they look they literally look like they, you pulled them out of the ground. They look right. amazing.
1: Let's spend just a little bit of time to talk about raku and salt glazes, since I'm, I'm sure me, as well as pe- people who are listening right now, mm-hmm. don't know what that was
0: like. Well, raku, raku is a low-fire gl- style of pottery. The glaze you use for it uh, is usually colored by the gases swirling around the pottery in the fire. Um, it's a low-fire, so we don't use it in the electric kiln or in the gas kiln, what we do is uh, we here at the Visual Arts Center fire it out mm. back. Um, we have a propane tank that fires into the base. We get it up to about, oh, 1880, something of that nature, glowing red hot. Um, lift the lid off, reach in with some tongs, pull it out, and goes right into another can full of newspapers, which immediately light on fire. I and then. so. We put the, uh, the lid on that can and the, the smoke, the hydrogen and the carbon dioxide and the oxygen and the, the nitrogen and all the stuff, all the gases that are in the inks and the newspaper and the air around that, in the smoke, swirling around inside of that thing, make all the different colors in the raccoon. So you get greens and coppers and purples and blues. And oh yes,
1: I've seen some beautiful pieces. Amazing,
0: amazing pieces. The problem with raccoon... Is it's a low success rate in cracking, because from the heat to the newspaper. I mean, you got to be fast. Mm. You can hear them tink, (coughs) just like that, and you know it's cracked, just from that quick change in temperature. That's it. So, um, salt glazes. What what are they? But salt glazes are are glazes that um, they use in gas fire kilns and I believe in wood fire kilns, that uh, they have a base, a sodium base to them. And mm-hmm. the sodium uh, bubbles and boils and does all kinds of cool things. Um, that's about all I really know about the salt glazes. I have seen them on art pieces and they look amazing. But we don't use them here because, uh, well, the sodium's kind of toxic and you've got to be careful with it. Oh, all right. That's good to know. And. We did talk about
1: classes just a little while ago, and, and I was going to ask you, and I'm glad I re- finally remembered, was that I know you run a class for people who are
0: handicapped in some way. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Tell um, us about that. I met a, a, a young woman who runs her own facility where she helps people with disabilities learn life skills. Right. Right. Um, cooking, cleaning, mm-hmm. being able to take care of themselves. Essential skills. Yep. Most of these people are, uh, heck, they're in their 30s all the right. way up to their 70s. They reign, they, they're they on the spectrum. Some of them are on the autism spectrum. Some of them have Down syndrome. We, we arranged for them to be able to come in and get their hands dirty, get some clay, and they turned out to be amazing artists. Wow, and they, uh, I've ta- I've taught them pinch pots, I've taught them coiling, uh, a certain group of them that can handle the wheel and don't mind getting dirty. Um, I've got mugs back there right now for them that they they threw on the wheel. They were amazing. I, I trimmed them. I'll have to admit I did trim it for them, but they threw them and they did really well. And um, I have a whole another facility that started up just this past year uh, on Tuesday mornings, and uh, they're a bit younger younger crowd but they are rambunctious as all get out and they are a lot of fun and we have a blast we're making uh, wind chimes now so we're just it's not it's more hand build with them than wheel work but they'll get on the wheel sooner or later the way i have a, i have the the process laid out is they have to learn a couple different styles of pottery first like the right. coiling and the pinch pots mm-hmm. to get them used to the clay and how the clay works and right. how it feels before they get on the wheel you know, once they can identify with the clay, then getting on the wheels a little bit easier. Boy, this is very interesting.
1: Boy, you should do you should do a documentary with this group. <laughs>
0: really, I mean, uh, it's an interesting story in itself. They're very, they're, they're very, very nice people, and and uh, you know, I they come into class and it's all hugs and and fun mm-hmm. and lots of love and. You know, I I like the fact that even when they have, they get a little bit of a a failure something doesn't work, it doesn't bother them at all. You know, everything is just sunshine and rainbows and it's beautiful. I love it. You know, I have them on Monday and Tuesday, which happens to be the end of my work week. All right. Because I I usually have uh, Wednesdays off. Okay. And then Thursday starts my week back up. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I finish my work week off with those guys, and man, I'm ready to go. And I'm in a good mood. And it's beautiful. I love them. I love them to death.
1: I could see it. I could see it in your in your face and in your voice. That's excellent. We should all love
0: what we do. Oh, we I do. I do. I have a good time. Pottery is uh, pot- pottery is really pretty much. I think this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Honestly, good.
1: Steve, we've been talking for a a while here in (laughs) recording time. So I am going to thank you, Steve, for finding the time to come and talk with us. You are most welcome. Thank you for uh, having me. You were a great guest and you were filled with just interesting information about pottery because I know nothing about pottery. and So now I know something. Thank you very much. So until we meet again, be well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show.